When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think to me, in a, in a certain way, the bass is, first of all, I'm huge on rhythm and rhythm of any kind. You can talk about crazy five, four, seven, four, 13, eight, whatever, or just four on the floor or six, eight time, the syncopation or right on the beat. Rhythm is a huge part of me. And if there was one skill that I had early on, it wasn't singing. It wasn't really piano. It was rhythm. It was always having a great sense of rhythm. And bass is so important to the rhythm and to the foundation of the song. And in a way, it's almost like a, a voice, not so much in tone, but in the fact that most of the time you're playing a single note the way the human voice does. And you can be very simple kind of laying down a, an ostinato or something repetitive, or you can create melodic basses the way, again, people like Paul McCartney did or a lot of people in the kind of new wave world. And and I also think the, the, the feel of it helps me lock into the rhythm. And frankly, I find of all the instruments, maybe except for piano, it's the easiest to sing along with when I'm singing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up. I have a musician, a podcaster, an all-around great guy joining me tonight. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's great to be here. Yeah, tell us a little about yourself. I was born in Philadelphia, grew up in New Jersey. I live here in New York City. I've been here for about 23 years. And I've been in the music world my entire life. My dad is a professional musician. He's still gigging a couple of times a week at the age of 81. So out there making it work. Nice. Uh, and I, I grew up in the nightclubs and casinos and places where he would play, just watching him do his thing and in the recording studios and just absorbed all that. And decided pretty early on that what I wanted to do was create my own music. So most of my life has been dedicated towards uh, writing and recording and performing the music that I create. So you've answered the first question, but I'm going to go in a little more in depth. I usually ask yeah. your origin story. Talk about where you grew up and what kind of music were you listening to. And you've mentioned Ooh. your dad made music. Did though your mom be a music fan? And was there a wide amount of types of music in the household? I love that question. I absolutely love that. It goes along a lot with, and I know we'll talk about this later, but my podcast is music is not a genre. And the whole idea is that's how I grew up. And no, my mom 
is not musical in any way, but she's always loved music and been a, a pretty in-depth music fan from the long, even before my dad met her. And at home, we would listen to pretty much any kind of music that you could think of was somehow being incorporated at home. My dad would create mixes with the turntable where he'd stack LPs and one might be salsa music and one might be jazz and one might be classical. And that's the kind of mixes that we would have at home, just lounging around in the den. Did you, I, there's two, if I generalize people, yeah. guests on the show, Nick, there's two types, okay. the types that embrace their parents' music and as they grew up, they just expanded their range or the people that rebelled against their parents' music and went and found their own and then came back in their 30s going, oh, maybe this Johnny Cash guy was OK to begin with. Ah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I had to throw you in one or the other categories, I'm taking you'd be more the first. Yeah, absolutely. There there was never a time where I felt the need to reject the music that my dad grew up with, my mom, in particular because they had such wide tastes. I was just talking about this with my wife. We were listening to an interview with uh, Paul McCartney and someone in one of the interviewers said, who doesn't know some of your music somehow, somewhere in the world, mm -hmm. we both don't remember a time where we didn't know the Beatles. So my dad was a huge Beatles fan. My mom, hugely into jazz and early electronic music, and they both liked folk music. And even though I sure did embrace punk and disco and techno and new wave and all the things that came afterwards and metal and all of that, and have incorporated a lot of that into my music, it wasn't as a response against what my parents liked, it was basically just let's add more to the pot, you know? So you mentioned you've listened to music, you've been part of the music business your whole life. Did you know it was in your genes? You always wanted to make music right from the beginning? I, I yeah, yeah, I must have because there is a piece of paper somewhere, I don't know where it is, with lyrics that I wrote when I was six years old and there is a cassette somewhere that my parents have of me singing the song that I wrote. So I must've written the melody at least and the lyrics. I did no chords at the time. So from a pretty early age, that's what I was doing. What did you take up an instrument? Yeah, my dad. So my dad's primary instrument was always piano. He sings and plays a solo piano drum machine and his voice. And that's his whole act. And so I learned piano for most of the my preteen and teen years and then picked up acoustic guitar in high school, electric guitar in college, and then bass a few years after that. And I just keep adding. I've been doing drums lately for my next album, stuff like that. But right now in my in the band that I perform in most, it's bass. And that's become my favorite instrument other than voice. But I grew up playing the piano. What about the bass spoke to you? I think to me, in a, in a certain way, the bass is, first of all, I'm huge on rhythm and rhythm of any kind. You can talk about crazy five, four, seven, four, 13, eight, whatever, or just four on the floor or six, eight time, the syncopation or right on the beat. 
rhythm is a huge part of me. And if there was one skill that I had early on, it wasn't singing, it wasn't really piano, it was rhythm. It was always having a great sense of rhythm. And bass is so important to the rhythm and to the foundation of the song. And in a way, it's almost like a, a voice, not so much in tone, but in the fact that most of the time you're playing a single note the way the human voice does. And you can be very simple, kind of laying down a, an ostinato or something repetitive, or you can create melodic basses the way, again, people like Paul McCartney did, or a lot of people in the kind of new wave world. And and I also think there, there, there's the feel of it helps me lock into the rhythm. And frankly, I find of all the instruments, maybe except for piano, it's the easiest to sing along with when I'm singing. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Because McCartney was a bass player. Brian Wilson played bass. Very nice. Yeah. Because you often hear, you'll hear stories of bands, right? And okay, we don't have a bass player. You go learn to play the bass, right? <laughs> yes, yes, that's very true. And what's funny is even though, and I, I actually had a the, the first I have my band's name is Rec, and so we formed in 2004. And this is my most recent is it's Rec Collection, the best of okay. Rec 2007, 2020. And we needed a bass player, and one of my guitarist's girlfriends could not play bass, but she wanted to be in the band, and she picked it up, and within a pretty short amount of time, learned the bass well enough to to gig with us. So <laughs> there is some truth to that for sure. But then. <laughs> People like Gary Talent and others make it look so what they do is so important to the music, right? Bringing it back to Garrett, the Bruce from the E Street Band. Yeah. And Gary just sits there just as a base, a base as in the underlying foundation. Absolutely. And I, I want to mention something about Springsteen in a second, but I will say that last week I saw The Cure in concert. And okay. The only two remaining original members are Robert Smith, the singer, and Simon Gallup, the bass player. Oh. And he speaks with his bass the way Robert Smith sings with his voice. And the two of them are integral to that band. And speaking of Springsteen, he's somebody that I just simply, again, grew up knowing because I'm from New Jersey. And so even though by the time I was old enough to know what, what Springsteen was, he was already relatively famous, it was still pre- you know, the big 80s years and all of that. And we just grow up saying, oh yeah, that's a home hometown guy, the home state guy. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. 
I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I often find this when I'm talking to people that grew up in Jersey that asking them when they first discovered Bruce is like asking, when did you find out your parents used Tide washing detergent, right? It's just always there. Yeah, it's just there. Very true. Yeah. Did you went through a path where you tried to do something besides music for a living or you're one of those that, nope, music is what I want and that's what I'm going to do? Uh, I've never not done music, but there have been times where I have definitely taken other jobs. This sort of counts or doesn't count. I taught music for a while, private lessons. It's a very common thing that musicians who are doing fairly well still do that. They enjoy that. I haven't taught in a while, but I do. I got into podcasting because I originally, other than I like to talk, I originally had a pretty extensive career in the audiovisual world. I was the manager of the audiovisual department at the Bronx Zoo for a number of years. And ah, interesting. It was a funny, yeah. And, and yet, those were all supplemental to anything that I was doing with music. So it's every couple of years, I put out a new album. I'm never not performing in one way or another, whether it's online with the cover band that I frequently play with or with my own music. It's always a part of my life. So you mentioned at six, writing a song. Um, yes. Do you remember the first song that you're proud of, though? Yeah. You may have been proud of that six-year-old, that one when you were six. Yeah. may have been damn proud of that as a six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I nailed it. <laughs> oh, man. That's a really hard question because it depends on the your age, right? Like when yeah. I was six, I remember the first line of that song was, 1974 was cold, but today is warm. I don't know what that meant, but at six years old, I was pretty. That's you know, a pretty good line. Yeah, you're yeah. not bad. And then in middle school, I wrote a song called A New Song, and I loved it so much that I got friends together and we did an acapella version of it in class. Oh, because I, nice. But I would say probably the first time where I thought to myself, oh, I could do this for a, a, a living was I was, geez, 14 or 15, I think it was 15. And My dad knew a lot of, and knows a lot of the music industry people in the Philadelphia area and all of that. And I wrote a song 
after having read the book Hiroshima by John okay. Hersey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I called it uh, Radiation Blues. And it was a kind of a tongue in cheek song, which used some of the ideas from that, but it was it wasn't meant to be serious at all. And it was a blues song. And my dad liked it so much. He's like, we're booking a studio. We're getting in you and you're going to do this. So I was in a studio in Philly at the age of 15 and recorded my first song. And I thought, oh, I could do this. Wow. I really want to do this. Do you have that recording? I do. So, yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. They, that's very they, cool. Back then, you couldn't just find anything online. There was no real online. So yeah, they had to go to archives to find things that we needed that weren't there. And one of the things I wanted the song to start with the sound of an atom bomb explode. And as it was tailing off, the blues comes in and you start doing that. And they found that. And so to this day of the recording, it starts out with an actual explosion and goes right into the song. Do it sounds not only do you have composing both the lyrics and the music medley, but it sounds like arrangement was something you found really early too. Wow. Yes. Yes. My dad recorded, he predominantly did other people's music and he was actually a pretty well-known rock and roll star in the sixties in the Philadelphia area. He had one national hit that charted in the top 100. His name's Nicky DiMatteo. There's stuff out there about him. But in the 70s, he decided to record an album of original music and he got investors and, and an arranger and producer and all of that. And so I'm this small child. He would take me to the studio. And at the, even at that age, I was not just listening to, oh, this is a good song or what was the, what was the, what were the words? Why did they play the piano there? Why were the backup harmonies here? And there was a song where they couldn't decide whether they wanted this backup harmony or that backup harmony. And I went to my dad, I was like, you could do both. You could just layer them together. When I was like eight years old. So even from that early age, production, when when people ask me what I do, if I'm talking about music, I usually say I'm a music creator and producer. And because those are the two most important things to me music-wise. Yeah, I what's that's a true talent, right? To be able to see that, to be able to picture that jigsaw of sound the way like Brian Wilson did it with Pet Sounds, right? That just these little pieces that you don't, you don't really know they're there, but you feel them, right? Oh God, yeah, yes. And I think that early on, I made a, a lot of the mistakes that producers, young producers make, which is, Whatever I heard, I put in the song and I put everything in and it, and it would become too layered, too much, a little it would obscure the, the, the simplicity of the song or what have you. And so a lot of it is finding that inspiration. And there are times where I've listened to a song and heard something. Oh, there's a neat thing and go back and listen again. And it's not there. I'm like, oh, I must have just imposed that mentally with orally onto the song and knew that's got to be in there. Because if I'm already hearing it, it's got to be in that song. But then I might think of 10 other ideas and I need to know that's going to that's gonna take away from the overall picture of the song. And this is too much. You can't hear the voice here well enough. It's all of that. And so it's just like they say with, with writing or editing for a film, I used to edit for film, is they say, kill your darlings. Yeah. You need to be able to know yeah. 
when you this beautiful thing you created is actually a detriment to the overall work. That was exactly what I was going to bring up. And so I'm so glad you did. You'll hear people talk about, especially script writers. Okay, you may have to take out your favorite joke because it's not serving the script. J. Michael Stravinsky, who is created Babylon 5 and Ooh. has written for tons of stuff. And he has a book, Script Writing. And one of the pair, one of the chapters is about editing. And he shows the whole edit process. In other words, the whole chapter, he starts and he shows all the editing. So to see how he got to the finished product to show you how much we're doing. Yes. I'm curious. I went through a spell where I was listening to a lot of writers on podcasts, TV writers, film writers, and showrunners. And they talked about that if they worked on a drama series, they couldn't watch other drama series because in their mind, they're editing it. And this, oh, why did they do the ad break there? And I don't know if I would have done that a teaser. So they tend to watch a lot of situation comedies, right? Because they don't yeah. think that way. Same thing, situation comedy writers, showrunners will watch the cooking channel, right? They, they need it. So <laughs> do you have that issue sometimes with enjoying music that it's hard for you not to second guess it? Well, I, yeah, in, in the sense that there's a period in my process where I and, and I don't know it's coming. And then I, I see it weeks later where I just I realize, oh, I've stopped listening to music. And it's because there's too much going on in here. And that's just going to, to distract or add elements that I that are unintended or things that I might lift from there that I don't want or, or what have you. And that's just the, the natural part of the process. It doesn't, and then usually it's prior to me recording. And, and when I'm generating the ideas for the songs and the production and all of that, I've done all my absorption. I've listened to everything. And on my podcast, I'll do periodic episodes where I'll be like, here are the albums I've listened to. And I went through maybe 15 or 20 episodes and realized I hadn't done one in a while. And I'm like, oh, because I'm working on a new album, and as soon as I started working on the album, which was a couple of months ago, I started listening to music again because I'm like, all right, I've got everything I need now. It's not going to be a distraction anymore. In fact, it might feed some energy into me, but I needed that period of silence. So talk about the podcast. When did you decide to do a podcast and what were you hoping to accomplish? I was working on a, a follow-up to an album I released in 2015 and didn't know what to call it because I wanted to branch out from the normal music that my band has done. And so I was brainstorming and thought, these demos are going to be called uh, Music Is Not A Genre. And at the same time, I started blogging about the new album that had come out because I wanted to promote it and talk about it and whatever and get attention and, and all of that. And those two things converged at the end of 2019. My wife was like, you love talking about music. Why don't you do a podcast? All right, I'll give it a try. And I started it then and it really started to gel more in 2020, 2021. And while I was doing it, maybe 20, 10, 15 episodes in, 
I realized the name of those demos, which is not going to be the name of the that next album, is the perfect name for the podcast because there's no limit to what I will or want to talk about. I've talked to, to people who do classical music, who are just into specifically opera or jazz or folk or anything. There's no limit to the kind of music that I want to talk about. And even though I there's nothing I know everything about, and there's a lot of things I know nothing about or very little about, I usually know a, enough of something to be able to have a decent conversation or to break down an album or an artist's body of work. And once I realized that, especially during the pandemic, I couldn't go out to a bar and talk to my good friend and co-producer or whatever about music. Why don't I just do it with anybody who's out there? Mm -hmm. It's like a conversation. Yeah. So what are some examples of some episodes you've done? Is it just a conversation between you just get a musical guest and you guys just shoe the fat? No, no. Actually, it took till about season. I'm on season five now. It took till about season three, I believe, Impressive. to even introduce that. Thank you. To introduce guests. And I started an interview series in within my series. I've done 32 of them so far. Okay. But most of my episodes are just me. I also do video sitting in front of the you know camera and the microphone. And I have sub series. I just, I'm almost done a six part series on the Beatles where I broke it down by their certain eras and then their post Beatles era and all of that. I do another series on books. So I'll be discussing, there's a guy who wrote a book about the mamas and the papas that I met through our same network. I'm going to yeah. be talking to him and interviewing him. And then I talk about books that I've read. I do another series called Death is Dumb, where I talk about an artist who's presence i dearly miss a john lennon or somebody okay. like, this guy named adam schlesinger who wrote for fountains of wayne and just i've done maybe a dozen of those and then the rest of the podcast is me saying what's interesting me right now what am i listening to something new that i'd love to or from a band that's been around forever that just put a new album out like depeche mode or somebody like that or metallica or, or whoever and then honestly the bulk of the podcast is me just looking at my collection and saying, oh, okay, I want to talk about this band now. So I've done full deep dives on U2 or The Cure. Uh, you'll see a lot of 80s and 90s in there, but you also see some 60s and 70s artists. It's, it goes everywhere. Who haven't you discussed yet that you feel like you owe a deep dive to? Oh, boy. Any? Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah, I could. Oh, I want to do an episode on I'll give you two. One would be the kinks because they are a bit of, in some ways, unsung heroes as far as the British invasion goes, because they were like fourth tier behind like the Beatles, the Stones. Yeah. And yet they are, they rank for me higher than some of those. And just the way they crafted music really spoke to me and you don't see a lot about them. And then the and then the other guy that I want to do a, a dive into is Beck in particular because there have been lots of different critics and writers and reviewers who have said that my music sounds like Beck in, okay. in, in a lot of ways. And so I'm like, I think I need to look into that because I do know Beck as far as his music goes, but I don't I have never dived into all of the things that he's done. So those are two perfect examples. 
Do you have a preference of an episode you like better? Do you like going on a solo journey or do you enjoy the guest episodes? Ah, and you don't have that's... to choose. It just I'm <laughs> curious if there's one or the other. What I love about the solo episodes is I do all this research and I just get to riff on a band or an artist and, and just show my love and appreciation for that artist and reveal things. A perfect example, one of my Death is Dumb episodes was on a guy named Terry Kath, who amazing guitarist for Chicago. And not many people know who he is because people think of Chicago as the 80s band and they don't know their 70s and 60s work. And when you listen to what Terry Kath did, Jimi Hendrix himself said he was the greatest guitarist of, of that generation. That That's how good he was and his vocals and just everything he contributed to that band. That's currently my highest ranking uh, episode on YouTube. And to be able to dive into that, uh, to show, to give people insight into either lesser known artists or well-known artists, but they're more obscure works. They're, when I do cover tunes, I'll do, I'll pick the Beatles, I'm So Tired, or Hey Bulldog, as opposed to She Loves You or Let It Be. I'll pick the slightly more obscure right. songs. At the same time, I'm getting to a point now where I would prefer conversation. I prefer to have more guests on. I, that's why I made the call, who can come on to my show? I'd love to talk to you. I'm starting a new kind of discussion series next month with a guy who's a critic and a creator himself, music creator. And we're going to be talking about South African music in particular, because that's something that he knows quite a bit about. And instead of me doing hours and hours of research and having my notes in front of me and riffing on that, I'll get to talk to somebody and ask them questions and we can find that synergy and excitement and just two people together talking. Yeah, I just, I have certainly done solo episodes, but overall, I've, I just love the conversation. I loving having somebody on and sharing their excitement and their joy about either their favorite band or their favorite musician or even creators. And I've really had a good luck nikki i nick i was i was at a i ended up getting a couple of guests that have a huge business background and they've been like i don't have to talk about the infrastructure i can just talk about van morrison yes you could just talk van morrison nice. and we rent through an hour just talking about how much van's music meant to him or a guy talked about how he heard the Rolling Stones and it was that was it. It went in there. And and I just think music is so personal to us. Mm. It really is. And that's why I was thrilled to pull the curtain back a little bit when the guys from Pantheon reached out and said, hey, we don't have a Bruce show. Would you want to join us? And I'm like, oh. a group of people who do nothing but talk about music. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and I just, I did my the two interviews ago. I interviewed Christian Swain. And people don't know he's the Pantheon yeah. guy, mainly one of the two of them. And we talked about that. And what I said to him was, I'm I'm so thrilled that I'm a part of Pantheon primarily because he has something like a hundred podcasts or, or something, but there's no theme to them other than music. Yes. They go everywhere. And I I that that's what I love to do. Yeah. And we were talking about this. I love Set Lessing Bruce and I have a, a blast, but me and Sylvan 
talk John Hyatt every other week. And we do, yeah. we're going through John Hyatt A through Z. Oh. And it gets no downloads, right? It just, but we figure the people that are downloading it are passionate Hyatt fans. And that's okay. Josh Whedon, who we realize now, probably not the greatest guy, but he mentioned once yeah. that he wanted, he didn't want to be liked by millions, but he wanted to be loved by a thousands. He wanted Buffy the Vampire Slayer to have this passionate fan base of a smaller group that adored it versus yep. a lot of people going, oh, that's pretty good. And, and I, I think, yeah, I do too. By the way, I graduated high school in 77. When you mentioned Chicago, I absolutely remember those eras. Good. And, and uh, Chicago Nine with their greatest hits. And, oh, oh, yeah. I just paint bucket and all. Yeah. yeah, yeah yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I do remember when he died, and there was a lot wow. of discussion about that. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. older than dirt. Like I said, I graduated high school <laughs> in '77, so I yeah. I uh, love that you remember that. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, I I knew enough. Of, I knew of them enough in the '70s to know that they were yeah. around and their big hits, but. I didn't really get into that era of Chicago until college. And, and, yeah. and I, to the point where I absorbed it album after album and couldn't stop. And to this day, I still, I've already done two episodes on them. I probably do another one. Oh yeah. Cause they're just, there's something special. I was lucky enough last summer, they, Brian Wilson was touring with them and they had Brian open and Brian Wilson was not doing well physically, mm. but the band is amazing. By the way, I had David Leaf, who is Brian's, if he has an official biographer, I asked him, do you think Brian will keep touring? And he said, Brian tours for three things. One, he loves being on stage and hearing the band sing his music and perform it so well. Mm. Two, he adores feeling the love from the audience that how much they enjoy all those Beach Boy songs, all the songs mm. he's done. And three, adores room service. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I totally get that. I'm yeah. like, yeah, those are three great reasons for me. Absolutely. Yeah, but Chicago came on afterwards, and it, it was – I had seen them years ago when they toured with the Beach Boys, same mm -hmm. thing. And so it was amazing – to the amount of songs they've done, the great arrangements. It yeah, it was just it was a fun show. And it's a band that that I I talk about this a lot on my podcast. I tend to gravitate to bands who don't stay in one lane. And yes. they they really didn't. No. You know, you can listen to a song from the first, I don't know, let's say seven albums, and it's gonna be very different from something from eight or ten or eleven, which will be different from the period after Kath died, where they went into a little bit of disco and refining their way, yeah. which is different from the 80s. And even within one album, pick an album, especially in the early period, and they did classical and jazz and blues and rock. And, and that's like a kindred spirit for me. Yeah. And Nick, it I think that goes back to the title of your podcast, right? Music is not a genre. There are artists like Bowie that reinvented themselves. Right. They wanted yeah. to do the Beatles did different things. And I love that there is something about a consistency of 
an Elton John or someone or a James Taylor. Boy, a James Taylor song mm-hmm. is going to sound like a James Taylor song. Love, Love James him. Taylor. I'm not Love doing him. it. But there is that because it makes it harder to market, right? If you don't yeah. have a consistent sound, the record companies, I don't know how to sell you. And I don't want to be sold. I just want to, these are the music I want to make. Yeah. Right. No, you, it goes back to what you said that Josh Whedon said. And coincidentally, I'm listening to this other podcast called Smartless with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, Will Arnett, and they were interviewing Sarah Silverman and they asked her why she chose the projects she chose. And she said, I'd rather be niche because it allows me to do the things I love the most and then not worry about how big a star I am or anything like that. And I think there are people who can do Bowie did both. It took him a few years to get there. And I did an episode on him and I was on somebody else's podcast about him. Most artists it's, it is an either or, but I I think that if there's one thing that's, that took me a while to embrace with my own music is that I was never meant to sound like one thing. And anytime I tried to do that, it it never came out as close to the the heart and soul of my music as when I just let it fly. And if that's made it more difficult to be marketed or whatever else it is, that's okay. Because go back to that quote, I'd rather be super yeah. beloved by a small group than just liked by everybody else. So Aaron Sorkin was being interviewed and they he talked about that he was asked to write the the screen not screenplay the script the play they were going to redo to kill a mockingbird for broadway and the first draft they pushed back and aaron said he realized he was doing harper lee's greatest hits basically he just and he said no if i'm going to give justice to the story i need to tell it in a unique way And so I think that's, you don't want to sound, I don't want to be a James Taylor because we already got a James Taylor. Yeah, yeah. We need to be a a Nick DiMatteo, right? You need to do that. So let's talk a little bit about your music. Uh, Talk to me about what you're working on. Tell me some stories from the music. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, I have a band called Breck. We've been, it's revolving cast of characters behind the scenes, but it's primarily just a vehicle for me to write and perform and produce my music. And prior to that, I was a solo artist for a number of years. I've done film music and incidental music for independent films and certain other projects and things like that. And it i guess the the main thrust of everything i do is exploration is the ability to make accessible anything i can think of so if, if there's something that i find really interesting and obscure or it's a weird rhythm or there's a, a esoteric lyric listen artists who are who do that and that's their lane and they don't care how accessible it is i love that too and i listen to those artists but the ones that impress me the most are again artists like let's say the beatles who if you don't know the beatles you think of them as just writing pop songs and the subtleties within what they did are they the more you listen the more they grab you that's the kind of music i like to create whatever it is and this next album i'm working on 
is one of these, I'm only doing it for me. Like I, I want to go back to the roots of everything that I loved and forget about trying to stay in, in one lane, but how can I also make it cohesive and start from this obscure polyrhythmic instrumental that opens the album going to something that is in the realm of elect electronica or techno or pop morphing that into an instrumental which then morphs into something that sounds more like acoustic rock or grunge or whatever and somehow get from point a to point z and if you listen through you can't believe that you got from here to there and yet it all just flows together and i think that's to be complimented because and now i'm gonna sound like a grumpy old man albums are are a lost art we in this signal in this in this streaming world, there was a couple of guys from the network did why you don't do greatest hits anymore, right? Record companies don't usually put out greatest hits anymore because you don't need it, right? You just go to you pick the songs you want on your streaming service, and there you go. Um, so yeah, I love the idea of you're going. I'm going to take my listeners on a journey. And we're going to go from point A to point C and go from there. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah, I my last project was uh, like my pandemic baby. And it was five, it was four EPs and a full album. And each one was very programmatic. I want to do lo-fi ambient music. I want to do hard electronica. I want to do just straight up rock. I want to do R&B and hip hop or something like that. And then power pop is one of my favorites. And it's my home is power pop in a lot of ways. And I liked that because I got to stay in those lanes and, and explore them to the fullest, but that's not really where I live the most. And next week, I don't know when this is airing, but as of this recording, my podcast next week is going to be the first in a series of me discussing the album decade by decade, going over some seminal albums, in particular albums that might mean something to me, but discussing the state of the album in general. And it starts with where the idea of albums came from, when they started to develop, when they peaked, when they started to slowly wane, why they did, how now in the last 10 years, there have been artists who have rededicated themselves to creating albums instead of a collection of songs. Even when I reviewed and did my part series on the Beatles, six part series, I ended the fifth part prior to them breaking up with me saying, what were my favorite albums? And I differentiated between the album as a work of art or just an awesome collection of songs. So you go to like an Abbey Road or a Revolver where that's just a work of art. It just flows in a certain way. Or you go to Magical Mystery Tour where every single song in that album is a hit. Yeah. But it's a collection of songs. And that was intended that way because it was the soundtrack to the movie. There's nothing against that. So it's it encourages me that after the advent of mp3s and eventually streaming and all of that and the album was an afterthought that there are young, younger artists who are, who are finally remembering that it, it's a separate consideration from great songs a great album is not the same as just having great songs yeah very well done and when are you going to start that that'll be so next I'm week. I'm, as we're I'm, recording this, it's June 27th as we record oh, this. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm, I am now almost seven songs in, and it's probably going to be in the honestly in the area of 15 songs, something like okay. that. So I'm about done side one. 
Okay. I'm on the, the transitional song that leads to the next phase or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I had intended to release it last month. So <laughs> that's not working out. My hope is to be able to release it by the fall, but that depends on whether or not I get the, I'm looking, uh, I'm shopping around for somebody to mix and master it. Cause even though I've done that myself, I'd prefer another set of years. Sure. That makes sense. If that happens. That's going to add several weeks or a couple of months, at least to sure. the process. So I haven't set a release date, but I'm going to be releasing singles throughout the year. Nice. Yeah. What should I've asked you that I haven't, Nick? Oh, man. That question, for starters, because that's an awesome question. <laughs> Let me. While you're thinking, I'll give you the background. Okay. So I had a guy on the podcast, and we had a nice talk. It was good. And I quit recording, and I said, hey, thanks for being on. I hope you had fun. He goes, yeah. He said, next time on, I'll have to tell you when I got drunk with the E Street Band. Excuse me? Oh, <laughs> what, what? 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 <laughs> How do you not leave oh, with that man. story? So just in case you've gotten drunk with the E Street Band, I want to ask you that question. Oh, man. No, in fact, and in fact, I've rubbed elbows with a few well-known people. My dad grew up in the neighborhood and was good friends with Frankie Avalon, Fabian, Bobby Rydell, and Chubby Checker. And so I've met a few of those guys and he had the same manager for a while that John Whitehead from McFadden and Whitehead had a lot of Philly people. And so I got to work with him once and everything. But I think the one thing that people have been mentioning lately is I'm also an actor and I did a film recently where I got to play a guitarist slash comedian in the late 60s, early 70s. And I won't spoil what happens to my character, but it's a film called The Many Saints of Newark which was the prequel to the Sopranos series. Yes. it's You never know. Usually when someone finds that out, they're like, oh, wow. And it was two days of my life. But it was it was fun because I got to meet one of my children's favorite people, which is Leslie Odom Jr. because he was in Hamilton. And he's got an amazing, just an amazing voice. And my interview last week was with a guy who actually got to work on a couple of his albums. And I was thrilled to talk oh, to this guy. Yeah, I bet. You know, and he was, everybody I met on the set was nice, but I got to sit and talk to him and he was in half in character. So we didn't talk much, but when you see the movie and see even his acting is as good as his music. You know? Oh yeah. I, I We really liked the film we yeah. did. And so that's cool. That's a nice little fun. thing to be part of the Soprano universe. Yeah. Oh. It's almost like if you've been in the business long enough and you're an Italian on the East coast, you better hope somehow you're a part of that universe. Yeah. yeah that's pretty great. Fortunate. Pretty fortunate. All right. If someone wants to find out more about the podcast, more about your music, what's the best way? I think nickdematteo.com would be the easiest way because that's got links to everything. It's got a page for the podcast, a page for the music, for the everything. Yeah. And I can send you that if you want to link it. Yeah. But... And go ahead, plug your Patreon. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Patreon.com slash music is not a genre. Absolutely. Please join me there. I've got so much that's coming out in the next few weeks. I've already released so many exclusives and early releases and things. And just honestly, again, it's the conversation between the people and and, and being able to get input from them onto what I'm doing. That's the most thrilling part. Yeah, I, I have, as we joked before I recorded that I put the video up for my patrons and I not only are, but I think of them as my 
executive committee, right? Like I can often send out something to them and go, hey, do you guys think this is a good idea? What do you think if it's a bad idea? And and then and you build that trust with, no, if this sucks, I need you to tell me it sucks. God, yes, yeah. absolutely. Like I said, I'll talk about anything. And usually it's from, oh, this is what's on my mind this week. But if somebody mentions something, I'm like, oh my God, that would be great to talk about. And someone did that once where they were like, I'd like to know more about Ital Italians and American music. And I talked about how so many people you don't realize that were Italian, like Connie Francis and everybody knows Tony Bennett's Italian or yeah. Dean Martin, but they changed their names to be more American. And it and I went on and on and made Lady Gaga, like this, the number of people throughout the decades. And that came from a patron oh. as opposed to, I might say, hey, which one of these should I talk about? And they're all like, nah, maybe none yeah. of them. And, yeah. and then that's probably not the place exactly. to go. Exactly. Yes. Nick, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for spending yeah. time with me. All right, listeners, Nick is taking an incomplete for the Mary question, mm -hmm. but he's going to he's going to email me a clip. So I'll set it up for you and then I'm going to insert this after you. So Jay Armstrong <laughs> is a honors English teacher that is now retired in the Philadelphia area of all places. Ah. And when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road. And then they would discuss the imagery that Bruce uses, the word choices. And then they would ask the class, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So that's your homework. If I can, and I'm going yes. to just posit this. And if I need to do extra credit, I'm happy yep. to do that. Yeah. But having some sense of the song and having heard it at least a few times. Yeah. I'm going to say the answer is no. All right. You want to explain? Because, yeah, to me, there, there is the, that it's one of the quintessential road songs. I mean, it's right there in the name and the idea of moving forward in life and always keeping moving. And you need to be in, in the midst of that, exploring it. There's an instinct that says that's not as easy to do when there's someone else you're beholden to. I know. I love that answer. That's a great answer. No extra credit <laughs> needed. Oh, um, yay. <laughs> yeah, about 60% say yes, she gets in the car, but about 40% say no, she doesn't. All right. Wow. But yeah, so it's pretty yeah, good. I love the yes answer because it's romantic and I'm a romantic exactly. and I would exactly. do that. I'd probably say yes, but I just have a feeling that it's... And you, there, when you start talking about this, Mary has to take a leap of faith. This guy's saying, hey, let's pull it out of here to win. But is he, it's taking a risk is scary. And right. are you going to take that leap? And yes. does she get the sense that taking that leap is she just going along for somebody else's ride? Or is this ride for her too? Exactly. And I yeah. think that is, and often we get that discussion of no, one of my favorites is she, Terry Smith who does a, a wonderful music talks podcast. His premise is pick a song from every decade you've been alive. And then, wow. and basically he uses that as a way for you to tell your biography. I love so, that. Oh, it, it, I'll send wow. you the link. Yeah, yeah. So if like I was born in 59, so I had to pick a 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 and everything. Yeah. And, and that's the only it doesn't have to be your favorite song. Doesn't have to be the song that means the most. It's just you pick a song. And but he said no, she doesn't get in the car 
till later he does some growing up and they find um, each other again and then she gets in the car because they both are at a place where they can they meet each other so oh, i love that i That's, do too oh, beautiful yeah. great answer. all right nick thank you so much nickdemadio.com go check out his podcast check out his music send him a note that you heard about him on set lusting bruce i just appreciate it so much i am so proud i've been wanting to get more members of the pantheon siblings on the podcast mm-hmm. so i really appreciate this all right listeners go check it out be kind be safe and remember if we open up our hearts love won't forsake us just let the music take us and carry us home thank you nick thank you listeners we'll talk to you soon goodbye there we go another episode i'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback um so if you want to skip this i understand but I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.